Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oritari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who is Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa. <laughs> I love you, Pat. I am the Adam Glass. Uh, I told you to buckle up. alluded to in his uh, <laughs> alluded to i think it's a little bit more than allude ah <laughs> uh, comedic time. understatement pat come on go with it oh okay sorry this week we were t- yeah and then response is also comedic yes this week yes and adam for god's sake man Fine. yes I'm and my, my, my yes and's been a little off recently <sighs> this week we're talking about mona lisa neil jordan's 1986 uh neo-noir starring bob hoskins who is the wonderful, wonderful Amazing. man that he is. This is our second uh, appearance of Bob Hoskins in in the Criterion Collection so far. Uh, yes. I like him better in this than the other <laughs> I like, one. I like this movie better than the other one. Yeah, me too. I, that, that's also true. But like in general, I think he's better in this than he is in the other one. Also starring... Not that he's bad in the other one. Also starring Cosby Tyson in the titular role, uh, in a manner of speaking, uh, and Michael Caine as the villain... And don't forget Hagrid. <laughs> Hagrid is in it, yes. Whose name I do not know as an actor, it's, only uh, as Hagrid. Oh. Yeah, Bollocks. I looked it up and I forgot. I know what his name is. It's Robbie, uh, Robbie... The Robot? It's not Robbie the Robot. I tried. It's Robbie Hagrid. They named the character <laughs> after him. Yes, let's go with that. Coltrane. Okay, Robbie Hagrid. Coltrane plays... is his last name. Robbie Coltrane. Robbie Coltrane. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's his, right. Whose hair is delightfully large in this movie. Yeah, it is. Well, his whole I... character is large. You know, he, he. Yeah, he. There's a reason why he became Hagrid. Yeah. Because he is a a very large man. He's a good guy, and not in like he just, he just dominates the the frame. Yeah. Especially next to Bob Hoskins, who's got to be, what, like five foot nothing? Dude is short, Bob man. Bob Hoskins, the, the body double of Danny DeVito. They're just hairy, short so men. Yeah. <laughs> Did you say heady? I said hairy, but... Oh, hairy. Because like, there's a lot of head in both of them. No, that's true, too. They are, they are mostly head. <laughs> yeah, it's like head until the waist, and then it's just legs. Yeah. Um, so, this movie. The things that happen in this movie. This movie is great. I want to I say, first off, that okay. I was delighted when we started this movie up. And obviously, the, the song Mona Lisa um, is, is a wonderful song. Um, who is that? Who is that? Is it... I don't know. Is it Nat King Cole? Yes, it's I, Nat King Cole. Yeah. Okay. Um... I feel bad not remembering who performed Mona Lisa, but anyway. I don't know. Now, who painted Mona Lisa? Was that? I don't know. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I do like, as we're listening to that song the first time of many times that it plays throughout the film. Yes. Um, also is diegetic music, which I yes. think is amazing. There's an opening credit uh, promising the existence of a Genesis song on the soundtrack. 
<laughs> I know, I saw that. I was like, what is this? <laughs> well, I forget what the phrase is, but it's like also featuring. Yes. Yeah, it's like, ah, it's beautiful. <laughs> I don't know. Is that supposed to be a joke or like, why did they do that? Well, I mean, it happens. You know, the Genesis No, I know it does happen, there. but when... But what I mean is, like, why, is why it, did they need that in the opening credits? Um, maybe, maybe it was a uh, was that a selling point? Maybe it was a condition of it being used. I like to believe that that's true. Yeah, because that means that there is a there exists in a in the world a situation wherein, like, artists, musical artists, specifically people like Genesis, yeah. Are able to make demands that, like, also featuring the music of Genesis. I mean, maybe it, maybe it was as a demand. I guess it's a possibility that it was also just George Harrison having fun because this was handmade films. It was his film production company. Oh, okay. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I missed that. So that's quite possible. It's yes, possible that too. Or George Harrison just just putting his mate's credit right up front. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's it's not out of line of anything else he's made. No. So. Yeah. I assume that George Harrison and Sting are very, very good friends, or were. Yeah, maybe probably. still are. Might be. <laughs> Sting can probably just transport <laughs> I himself. He has a Ouija board. <laughs> I mean, your your way works too, I guess. <laughs> he's, in his, he's in his office or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm looking to speak to the spirit of George, George Harrison. Harrison. I wonder what, and then and all, and he gets back, fuck off, or something like that. I just see response. That's all he gets, or something like that. Sting's subconscious really hates him, <laughs> or or George Harrison, one of the two, wants to be left alone in the afterlife. Yeah. Um, I get him. By the way, total, totally disagree. Is there, or is there not a movie, a horror movie coming out, or has come out recently that features a Ouija board? Yes, there is a film okay. called Ouija. That came out in uh, around Halloween. I was trying to figure out if that was a dream. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. I wish that it had been the weirdest, weirdest dream. <laughs> the weirdest dream you've ever had? Well, no, in all seriousness, I was sitting there thinking to myself, I feel like I just saw a commercial for a movie about Ouija boards, but that can't be true. No, it's definitely a thing. It's got to be a dream. Okay. Thanks. So... Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa. See, I already got it out of my system by singing it in the opening. Yeah, uh, and you put it into sequence. my system. You're welcome. Yeah, well, thank now, you. Now, if only we knew the rest of the lyrics. Um, so, this film... This is a film... Is... I'm sorry. Go ahead. I interrupt. I, I, I want to hear I what you say. I want to say this is a film that I'm glad I watched four days before talking about. Uh, because letting it Why? letting it settle, I think, makes me like it more than... I don't know that that's not, true, Adam, because I watched it about an hour ago. Not that I... And it feels pretty great. Not that I didn't like it while watching it. But I think I think letting it settle just gives me gives me a slightly different perspective on it. But but right fresh from watching it, I was I was in love with it. I I I literally turned off the film and started hunting on Amazon to see if I could buy it. <laughs> I'm glad when that happens um, for you, Pat. It's a beautiful thing, and it's weird that it happened for two movies in a row. Yeah. Um, so, here's something. This movie is the strangest blend of comedy... And ultraviolence. Yes. And very, very, very dark, dark alleys. Yeah. Not, not, not dark alleys as in physical places, no. but as in 
mental locations no, no. to go. And most of the alleys in here are actually we, brightly lit by red neon. Um, right. Um, like, we have the beating and prostitution of 15-year-olds put up against weird comedy. Yes. It's a very, very strange mix. Yes. I like it. I mean, the movie co- works perfectly that way. But it is very weird. Yes. I... Like... I think there's there's some very weird things about how this movie's put together beyond that. I think the, uh... The whole... The whole thing with Hoskins' character's daughter and trying mm-hmm. to reconnect uh, is so... So backburnered, you know? It's at the start, it is. it's at the center point, and it's at the end. Right, it's a, it, it essentially does that thing where it's like, oh, and now's the time where we remind you that this is a thing, yes. and now she's gone. Yes. That it, we will it, see her it, at the end of the it film. It barely qualifies as a subplot. It doesn't. I don't even think it does. I yeah. think, I don't know, I, it's in there just because, yeah. I think, is a slightly humanizing element. Well, I mean, And also it's gives also, him something to do after he, all this shit happens. It's, it's you know, there's, in a lot of ways, uh, George's interactions with the prostitutes are... Surrogate daughter relationships. They, they absolutely are, but yeah. um, and the fact which which is why he feels so weird yeah. about the whole thing. And the fact that that he starts moving to protect not just the fifteen year old prostitute that he's been sent to find, but but another that he runs across because he's got a daughter about that age. Um, you know, so it's it it makes sense. I just, I guess, I don't know if I even want to see more of his daughter. I don't know if that would work. It's no, just, it's just no. weird the way she functions in the story. Um, but she functions perfectly. Yeah. As a set piece that allows him to have the relationship he has with these people. Yeah. That's all of the reason she exists. Yeah. That's why she's introduced in the beginning, and yeah. that's why she's there at the end. And and of course, you know, I think my problem then stems from I'm always. Always disappointed when characters who could be more round are just there as uh, props <laughs> or or plot ticks. But well, right. But there's you know we've had this conversation before, and I'm usually on your side. But at the same time, there are limits. Yeah. In a film, to how many characters you can flesh out. Oh, that's certainly true. We essentially have two main characters. Yeah. And they are the main characters, and they are fully fleshed out. And then everybody else is just a thing. Yes. An object for interaction. Because that's what the film is, right? Like, those two main characters are the only important ones. Yeah. And other characters in the film exist to either move the story along and or be antagonist or to explain elements of the relationship between the two of them. And and I think that's one of the interesting things about the film is that he very much does have this daughter relationship with um crap Simone yes Simone thank yeah. you I mean they it the relation that relationship is what is Bob Hoskins character George name? is his name George oh see man I, no one, why am I so bad at this no, I need to I need to write it down I need like I need like a portfolio where I have just a picture of the character and <laughs> I don't know, or something Michael, I need to just have the IMDB page open is what I need to do Michael Caine's character is the only one with a full name <laughs> I don't know his name. His name is Michael Caine. Denny Mortwell. It's not you know, Michael Caine. They might. Have, they should have just called him Michael Caine. 
to anybody. <laughs> yeah, they could have. Yeah. He's very Michael Caney in this film. Yes. Um, as he is in all films. Yes. Including the ones he's not in. Um, so, no, I so, more on more on their relationship. You, you say, It is true that he has a very father-daughter relationship with her but it's, it's and, but it's, there's also a weird sexual component yeah there. I mean it's, and, it's a very uh, it's a very to use the word ambiguous again but it's very, it's a complicated relationship right but I feel like it's one of those it, it, it's, it works well yeah. it works very oh, no, well their relationship is great it's, he feels fatherly towards her but she's not his daughter and she's not the same age as his daughter yeah. and it, it it's confusing and and I like that part about it and that you can tell that he is reluctant to make it that way yeah but at the same time you can't help it and then the way we are it's revealed later on that she is a lesbian yes makes it makes the whole thing more interesting yeah um goodness the the climax I, of this movie just out of nowhere is all that. Yeah, it just really dumps. The rest of the movie's been seedy, but but with the climax, just is a whole different level of just the graphicness of the of the getting shot. Well, yeah, but like it's not. I don't know. It was. We have seen much more graphic. We certainly have. This one is on par with like a, a gritty police drama. That's true. I mean, there's blood, but we don't see entry and exit wounds or anything weird like that. Um, and, and it's more bloody than the last movie we watched, but not by a terribly large margin. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it does it. What makes it so intense at the end is the fact that like it, it the last whatever 15 minutes of the movie pick up the pace at such an oh, extraordinary yeah. just... rate that it feels hyper graphic. Yeah. I think, just no, I think that's just shit just starts happening. I everywhere. think that's absolutely true. There's so much going on and so much uh, emotion coming into a head that the right. that the movie it's been slowly boil um, slowly building to this point. And it, yeah, and it, it sort it of explodes. explodes. Yeah, no, that's yeah. definitely true. Uh, because you know we get that even with their relationship and everything. Everything happens that way, like. Uh, because you you feel those emotions so strongly that like that that kind of hate for these characters comes out even in you. Yeah. When you see like when she shoots them, you feel that hate as well. You feel like oh I want these people dead. Um, and then it's interesting because the way she kind of turns on Bob or Bob Hoskins. God my gosh on George. Yeah. Uh, but like you know. But but that's all part of the passion of the, that moment, right? She doesn't, at that moment, is no longer able to just judge who is friend and who is foe, except for the one person she truly cares about, which is uh, Kathy. Yeah, is the only person she identifies directly as friend. Uh, and even then, that's shaky because Kathy's high as a kite. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's coming down at that point, but yeah, she still is. She's a non-issue because Kathy's passed out on the bed. But yes. it's it's interesting. Um, <laughs> I guess I don't know how to describe this as as interesting and justify that, but I did find it. Uh, the actress who plays Kathy, who's supposed to be the fifteen-year-old prostitute, is in like her thirties. Um, well, yeah, of course. Which you know, obviously, they're not gonna. It's how it always works. Yeah. Um, but the actress who plays Simone is 19. 
uh, at the time of filming. Well, um, um, you can kind of tell. Yeah. Um, it would have been good if they had gotten an actress who was probably about the same age as Simone's actress, yeah. the actress who plays Simone, but like, eh. Yeah. Movies. Well, yeah. Um, I think it's also... That's, that's my answer. Movies. I think it's also interesting that they're... they're they never outright state Simone's age. No, they don't. Um, she says that there was a girl a couple years younger than me, you know, a year ago, um, when I last saw her, and she's 15 now. Um, right, well, I always got the impression that, like, Simone was probably floating yeah. near 20. Yeah. So. Um... But oddly enough, her the actress who plays her, uh, despite being nineteen, doesn't look oh, no, nineteen. No, she definitely looks a little older than that. Um, so I, if I if I had to guess, I would have I would have placed her higher. But yeah, I'd probably be mid, like early to mid twenties, yeah. but still. But I'm also um, terrible at uh, guessing how old anyone is. People are. People, yeah, people me too. Period. So we probably shouldn't really speak really to this bad subject, at it. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it. it that 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 whole relationship is quite interesting, and and um, I I found George's reaction on the pier somewhat confusing. Um, I th- that's the only part I really disconnected for a short time was when he starts freaking out on her. Well, the part that's where we have Prior to, to the arrival. That's where we have to because you read their relationship as as rather strictly father daughter. I think. I, uh, mostly. Not necessarily, I the, but, but definitely on that end elements, of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think the epilogue, uh, when George and uh, Robbie Coltrane's character are under the car, working on it, and he's, he's talking about things, I think it suggests that he cared much more deeply for her than, than she did for him. He's, he outright says that... that um, that's he's, true. He's, that, he's speaking of it in the third person as if it is one of their detective stories. Um, right. But he outright says that he was in love with her and she wasn't in love with him. Uh, right, right. And I and I get that. I get that. But, like, it... it and you see it in furtive glances and yeah. the way he looks at her. is very well acted to the point where like you're like, oh, he loves her. But you can tell in those moments as well that he's very conflicted about the fact that he loves her in two different ways. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And even and even that still makes that pure scene rather confusing to me. Yeah. Because the way he freaks out on her, you wouldn't freak out on either of those two relationships that he well, feels towards her. In, in 1986... Uh you know, a 1970s criminal getting out of jail, <laughs> finding out that his daughter is a lesbian in 1986 Britain. I guess and that might there be true. might be there might be some betrayal. You make the emotion a coming good point. out too. Uh, so I think it makes it's hard. It's just hard because in in many ways, George reads as so sensitive. Yeah, I mean, he commits violence, but he reads as very yeah. emotionally sensitive. Is there any? Do we ever learn what he was in prison for? No, just covering some covering for. All we know is that he covered for. Yeah, he took the fall for something. Michael Caine for was doing. more. Yes, Mortwell. yeah, Michael Caine. We're just gonna call it Michael Caine. Mortwell. Mortwell. Uh, that's such a ridiculously. Uh, uh, 
Dickensian name. Yeah, it is. Mortwell. It is like the bad guy's name is Mortwell. Yeah, it does sound. <laughs> yeah, it is. But okay, so he covers for him, and but that's all we need to know because this is a, essentially a, this is a essentially a mobster type film. Sans a lot of that, but has kind of boiled down that mobster film relationship to its kind of essential elements. So we don't have a lot of that extra mobstery meat to deal with. Yeah, where it's like, oh, you know, betrayal. Like, you know what I mean? Like we, they kind of cut a lot of that out. Yeah, which is good because that would have made it more complicated. The the murdering of him and all that stuff. It, it's it's good actually that it's that the way it is. Um, but yeah, it's that classic, oh, I, I covered for you now, he's going to pay him back, but it's not really a payback, because he just puts him in there to spy on her, yeah. to find out like what she's doing with the Arabs, so that they, he can blackmail the Arab for whatever reason. Because what we do get out of this is that, like, I don't know how his prostitution business runs. Well, when they're... Because it seems to be based on the idea of of blackmailing the people who come to engage in these acts with... His, with she is very explicitly uh, she's very explicit that he's not her boss that, right I understand so that. which would suggest that he gets no money from the situation um, but they still obviously have some sort of relationship that he's in a position to send George to her as a driver um, right at the same time if they were in a deeper uh, if they're in any sort of deeper even business relationship uh I think she would have already known that he and Anderson are are together. Right. It, it, that, that, those 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 relationships are very yeah. tricky to figure yeah. out when George, uh, in this movie. When George comes to him and they have their meeting and he's setting up the burlesque show, uh, uh, Mortwell makes a show of talking about becoming legitimate, that this is all legal what he's doing now. Uh, as a segue into trying to convince George to spy on what the air right, is. right, and 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 he wants to find. I, I, so what I am assuming, okay, what I am assuming his primary business is, is he does not manage Anderson. No, he just has a relationship with Anderson in which Anderson continues to be a pimp. Mm. And they use that to blackmail people who are wealthy. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's very, very much considering. But my issue with that is, that is a non-sustainable business <laughs> technique. <laughs> you think? Because it, it, well, no, it definitely is unsustainable. Because you don't go to a person, a person who helps you commit crimes, who is unreliable to the point where everybody who deals with him gets blackmailed. And also has 99% or, of the power in the in the business relationship, you know. Right. There's nothing it's to, not something you're going to continue thing, to go to. The only thing that stops Anderson from doing that on his own uh, is, I guess, the fact that Mortwell has more social power, you know. Right, exactly. And that's exactly what it is. Mortwell is in a position to talk to those people and actually blackmail them yeah. without just mailing them photos in the mail or something. Yeah. Um, but, like, the thing about it is, is that, like, so they've got that see-through mirror. Is how we know that they're doing this to every client. Yes. And what, what I'm saying is, is that, like, these people all exist in the same social circle. Yes. They more than likely know that the other ones are visiting these prostitutes. Yes. 
in a sort of we kind of are aware of this fact kind of way, right? That's not the kind of thing that stays... The fact that one of them is blackmailing... If the, if more than one of them is being blackmailed by this guy, it's going to come out in its own sort of socially accepted, subtle way yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah, but, um, you know, it's not just... It's not the social group so much as, as the public that they're worried of being, it being found right, out. Right, right. Because what they're doing but, is very illegal and sickening. Right, um, and I understand that. But also, my guess would be that they would... The world we're supposed to view here is that there's probably... There's a lot of prostitution going on. Yes. Which means Anderson is not the only one who provides prostitutes. No, certainly not. So you would think that they would stop using him. If he's just blackmailing people left and right. Yeah. So my other thought is perhaps Michael Caine's character is not actually blackmailing them now. He's not making money off of them right now. What he is doing is building up such a portfolio of what would be essentially social power that he can enact some other plan in the near future. Mm-hmm. Is my my idea that he intends to do something radical, like try to become a governor or something ridiculous like that via blackmail. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And he needs this the Arab specifically. The Arab is important in some way, or make, wants to make a business deal happen. Or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's all very weird. Um, but also, the funny thing about it is is that... It, it, George's relationship with Michael Caine's character is very strange. Because it is understandable that he would want to use George to spy in a very like open... Like, what do you do up there kind of way. Yeah. But then, it, once it crosses that line, he can't do that. There's no particular reason why bulky George should be trying to climb drain pipes to spy on her. Yeah. It is presumable that Michael Caine's character has people who are better suited to that sort of spying. And also, he could have done that at any time. So obviously, that's not a practical way to find out what they're doing, because they must be doing it in a room that doesn't... That somebody would have already done that. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? They they must have curtains. Yeah. Or something to that effect. Because he doesn't... He would have already done that. There was no reason for for George's character to do that second... To do any of what he does if he could have just peered through a window. So what we get is that, like... Like, Mortwell is a very... Despite being this guy who has this kind of grand plans, it's also kind of just yeah. kind of dumb. <laughs> why doesn't have good plans? Yeah, why is that guy so important? Why is it so important that he blackmailed that guy? You know, and if it's so important, why is he doing it in such a sort of like club-handed sort of way? He's just sort of like just swinging his fists around trying to make things happen. I mean, it's in a much more verbal way, but that's essentially what he does. Is he's trying to make these things happen, but it's obviously he's very ham-handed about the whole thing anyway. Yeah. I mean, George is by far not a precise instrument. No. No, not So at all. using George for anything other than a blunt instrument sort of job means that Michael Caine's character is not as tactically aware as he ought to be to be trying to do the things he's trying to do. Though actually, on that note, um, 
given the ending, Simone is able to use George as a very... Uh, well, but yeah, that's exactly because she wields him in a way yeah. that, that, that Mortwell is incapable and un- doesn't understand yes. how to do. It, and, and that's my point. Is like Mortwell is very ham-handed about the whole thing. Whereas Simone is much more precise. I think there was something I read in, in prepping for today uh, in which uh, Neil Jordan talks about uh, this movie coming from an idea of making a film uh, dissecting the way men and women view things differently. Okay. And I, I wasn't sure quite quite what he meant from that but with what you know what we're just talking about i wasn't sure what he was talking about because i was sort of viewing this as uh viewing that that man and woman dynamic as as george and simone but if that man and woman dynamic is george is is simone and mortwell i think it absolutely is (laughs) yeah is the way in which they try to use george george as a tool and the funny thing about it is that both of them fail to a certain extent. Yeah. George rebels against both of their usage of him. Yeah. It's just that when George rebels against Simone, he doesn't start pl- plotting Simone's death. Yeah. <laughs> he is less offended by yeah. Simone's usage than 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 Mortwell's, and and I think it's a a a, vi- a valid thing that our that our creator says. Uh, nonetheless, I think it is it is it is always a foolish idea to believe that you can, in some way, encapsulate the way certain people view the world as a whole, as though that is a thing. It, this is one way in which men and women can be different in the way in which they interact with the world, yeah. but it's certainly. I, I assume you simplified the article, but I, I imagine it probably oh, made I, gestures about women. It's essentially kind of like he actually pfft. didn't expound at all. It was a quote okay. from him, so you know. See, that's yeah. Um, we'll see, but it is it is certainly does dig into possible ways in which. But I would say it's less of a man and woman thing and more of a. These are different ways in which one can influence a person. Period. Yeah. Because somebody could, a man could have finessed George the way that Simone does. Yeah. It's not dependent on love. It's dependent on that sense of loyalty and the sense of like, oh, I see, I th- how you enact those actions. I'm sorry, I miss, I misquoted it and I just, I just looked it up. So oh, it's, it's okay. a little, it's a little different and, and something well, please, else to think about. Please. I was interested in making a film about the total and absolute gap of understanding between a man and a woman. In which case, it, it, it very much can be... It is about <laughs> yeah, George and Simone. But... Well, yes, we now have that quote. <laughs> um, which is about their relationship. Which is actually kind is interesting, but kind of one of the least interesting elements of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Their relationship is an, kind of a non... Is it on starter? It's, it's obviously not going to become a relationship at any point in the film. Yeah. A, a relation, a romantic relationship, or anything deeper than what it already is after about the halfway point. Exactly, absolutely. Um, true. And so it 
that that gap of understanding doesn't expand or contract in any way. Um, I still think that the, 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 the interesting point about the film is more what we were talking about, which is the way in which people wield George. No, I think that's absolutely as true. As a tool. No, that's absolutely true. And, and I think that's a fascinating thing to think about because, again, it did, Simone did a thing and she used her, her, her charms in a way that, that made it easier possibly to wield it. Yeah. But Mortwell could have done that. If Mortwell were not so ham-handed about it, he could have used George's loyalty to him yeah. in, in that sort of fine instrument sort of way. But Mortwell is incapable because Mortwell doesn't see the world in that way, as far as we can tell. Yes. Like Mortwell is going legitimate, but his version of going legitimate is a sort of kind of a very haphazard sort of separation between him and the well, pimp that he's using and all this stuff. Well, his version of going legitimate is very, very much like uh, Hoskins' character in the Longwood Friday's version of going legitimate. Right, right, yeah. Which and, is to, and, use, and like, to use the uh, the ill-gotten gains to buy your way into legitimate society. Right, right. And, and, and that his, is what... Even his was. version of legitimate society is still owning a burlesque. You know, it's not exactly... Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like Morwell is so out of touch with his even his own desires that it's just sad because like he meets in a sauna openly with the person who is yeah running the non-legitimate part of this business. Yeah, he doesn't do things in a way that protect him from being or being um, meets in a sauna with that person in such a way that. not only are, are their clients there, but uh, a man who isn't even a member of the sauna and just arrived walks in. Yeah, is able exactly. To listen it's, in, unseen. Which which tells us that like Morwell is not capable of doing what Simone does. Yeah. But could, were he a different character, he could have. Right? It's possible. Um, yeah. I mean, like he. I mean, obviously, we see George's. George feels a lot of loyalty yes. towards Mortwell. Absolutely. Which means that it had that could have been finesse because that is essentially what drives him in with Simone. Like, I mean, yes, there are like relationship things about whether or not they have a sexual relationship or a father-daughter relationship, but the fact of the matter is is that he does that out of these things out of a sense of wanting to help her, yeah. which is a loyalty thing. Yeah. So, you know. Um, yeah. It's very, very interesting movie. I like it a lot. I want to own it. <laughs> well, I don't think this one's out of print, so you might be... No, it's not, although I had some... Job. I was trying oh, to find it. Oh, no, it, it is actually out of print, too. <laughs> it's easier to find. I'm sure, I'm sure a non-criterion version of this film is a lot easier to find. Than yeah, I found it's like... Given it's Neil Jordan's or something. first in the man's... The rest of the man's oeuvre. <laughs> I would think right. I would think that Mona Lisa is definitely available somewhere. Um, yeah, the Crying Game I think was his next one, and that won an Oscar. And then he did Interview with a Vampire, <laughs> which isn't you know. <laughs> it did not win an it Oscar. Sure didn't win an Oscar. <laughs> He's I had an not. interesting career. Yes, he has. And this is certainly part of a very interesting career because yeah. this is a very interesting movie. He also did I a like great movie uh, in the mid '90s. Uh, who is it? It's Cillian Murphy. It's called uh, Breakfast on Pluto. Okay, um, I've never heard of that. Breakfast on Pluto. I watched it. Um, 
beginning of September when I was visiting a friend of mine in Illinois. Uh, we watched it. Um, and Cillian Murphy is uh, um, is uh, transgendered. Um, okay. And yeah, it's just it's the story of his life. Um, he is the uh, uh, illegitimate son of uh, uh, a priest played by Liam Neeson in the film. As well. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's a very it's a very interesting movie too. It just it, it oh. hadn't occurred to me when I watched it that, that who Neil Jordan was. Um, but yeah. Always interesting to see me more very different work from, from uh, right, yeah, from different directors, the same artist. Yeah, yeah. considering Mona Lisa is the only thing Neil Jordan did that made it into the Criterion Collection. Um, oh, is it really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I misspoke as well. Bob Hoskins has been in three movies now that we've seen. Huh? Because wait a minute, The Long Good Friday obviously he starred in, but he was one of the right. uh, one of the state mechanics who shows up at. Uh, the apartment in Brazil. Oh, right. Yes, he is. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. That slipped my mind. There you are. It's okay. Which is a weirdly bit part for him. Yeah, well, I mean, it was... Let's see. Uh, when did Brazil come out? 85? Right. So he came when, on the scene when, in eighty in 79 or 80, 80 with uh, Long Good Friday. Um, right, and this that's was what I'm 86. Saying, yeah. which, in which he stars. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he's still he's building. But but Hoskins, look at Hoskins' career. He will take any role. Okay, yes, it is true. He will, you are he right. He will do anything. The man is, well, you know, he's he's your... Yeah. There You, you see other actors like that. Let's see. Did he do... I think there was... I, I, I'm sure that 88's Who Framed Roger Rabbit is not his next work, but I can't remember... Anything else? I'm on. I'm on the IMDb or on the yeah. the Wikipedia page. A prayer for the dying, lonely passion of Judith Hearn. I don't know either of those. Who framed Robert Rabbit? Yeah, so Who framed Robert Rabbit is actually the next big kind movie. of big yeah. one. Hmm. Um, Mermaids, Hook. the favor of the watch of the very big fish. Hook, Hook, yeah. and Super Mario Brothers in the early nineties. Super Mario's Nixon. I don't know which Nixon that you is. Played J. Edgar Hoover in Nixon. Apparently, I don't remember that either. That was the Anthony Hopkins as Nixon, the Oliver Stone film. Is it? Oh wow, really? Yeah. Well, there's been so many. <laughs> well, um. Anyway, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of it's the voice of Boris the Goose in Balto. Well, there you go. He's an enemy at the gates. I forgot he was an enemy at the gates. Yeah, he's the. Yeah, I did too until I saw yeah. that, and I was like, oh, yeah, of course he is. <laughs> uh, he's apparently in Maiden Manhattan. Sure. I don't. I don't remember him in there. I remember seeing it, but I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. It's just that he's got a. He, the he man certainly has a an interesting career. So, there you go. Ah, oh, Bob Hoskins, how I love you. It's, yeah, it's a shame he's gone. It is. It is. It really, I'm not even, yeah, I'm not being I know you're not sarcastic or anyway. Or facetious or... It's really, a, it's really a shame because I don't think there's any actors that fill the role he does. Yeah. As well as he does. In, around right now. Well, uh, as he we, says... We'll have to wait. As he says himself. Uh, you know. What was, that, what was that quote? I compared him to Danny DeVito earlier, but he actually has a quote about <laughs> comparing himself to Danny DeVito. 
Oh, um, really? He says, uh, oh, God. Let me see if I can find it real quick. It says, most dictators, uh, here we go. Most dictators were short, fat, middle-aged, and hairless. Besides Danny DeVito, there's only me to play them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> very good. Very, very yeah. good. Oh, this movie, though, is really... Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those where they were just gushing. It's great. It's beautiful. It's <laughs> well, and I'm I'm looking at the the Wikipedia page, and this movie won a lot of awards. Yeah, uh, it won. Holy crap! Won BAFTA, I believe. Um, won Hoskins BAFTA among other things. Yeah. Um, he was nominated for an Oscar from it, but I don't think he won. Yeah. Well, I wonder. I'd be interesting to know who, what they lost to. Um. Who, the, who actually got the Best Actor award that year? Oh, I think it was Paul Newman. For uh, I cannot remember the sequel. The sequel to The Hustle. Okay, uh, Jimmy Christmas. But I can't remember what it was. Nineteen. Well, we're gonna find out now because that's what this podcast is: us using Google. <laughs> Hooray! How I. Love... I should just. Oh man, it's hard to type. I've got the the microphone. I have to reach around the microphone, which I'm sure is creating <laughs> the color a lot of, of money. Uh, is Paul Newman's 1986 film where he won? Bob Hoskins also nominated for Mona Lisa, William Hurt in Children of a Lesser God, James Woods in Salvador, Dexter Gordon in, in Round Midnight. Dexter Gordon. I have never heard of Dexter Gordon or Round Midnight. Wait a minute. Wait. Oh, Dexter Gordon's a jazz musician, a saxophonist. This is 1986. Yeah. What is wrong with my... So I just typed in 1986 Best Actor Nominations. I have... Did Google break? Did you break Google? William Hurt for Kiss of the Spider Woman. Harrison Ford for Witness. John Voight for Runaway Train. Jack Nicholson for Prizzy's Honor. And James Garner for Murphy's Romance. I don't know, man. That is... Well, no, this is just... This is... You know how they have those knowledge cards? This is just what popped up. I, I feel like your knowledge card is... Is wrong? Yeah, did The Witness even come out in 86? I don't think so. It's very weird. I don't, I don't know, man. Let's... But now, but here I am on the, the 58th Academy Awards... Uh, I guess The Witness... Oh, I'm one off. This is the best film in 1985, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I'm a year oh, off, there you that's go. my problem. Yeah, William Hurt won. I need, I need 1987. Yeah, to get this right, there, there, there we go. Okay, that's your problem. Yep, there's my problem. That's what you got that's there. The cut, co- the color of money. Yeah. Okay. Paul Newman. Now we know that Paul Newman and Tom Cruise in that movie. Man, <laughs> I feel really, really, really sorry for anybody listening to this episode. <laughs> I feel really, really sorry for anyone specifically listening to this the last part. Five minutes of this episode. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's specifically this part where... So I'm very... There, I'm very sorry, everyone Google. listening, when we got off on this tangent about Yeah. Well, sometimes it's kind of nice to know when a movie's really good, like, why didn't it win? Yeah. An and it didn't win because a Scorsese film starring Paul Newman and Tom Cruise came out that year. Yes. Um, so there you go. Which I've never seen, The Color of Money. So. I've never seen it either. Perhaps I will sometime. This is uh, this is on Bill Hader's top ten Criterion films. 
Okay. Oh no, we're we're in we're in that territory now, are we? No, I just I went back to the Mona Lisa Criterion page, and that's what was popped up. Okay. We're not going to dissect. So like now we're just gonna name stuff like that. Nah, um, no. No. Amazing. This just it, it's okay to end a little bit early because this movie's amazing, and <laughs> it just is. This I mean, is, it's I, I was, I, I, you know I I it even has a chase scene with a fruit stand. It does. It totally does. Which is amazing. Yeah. For this mil- this movie has a, a, a chase a chasing with a fruit stand is just I mean, kind all, of amazing. All great chase scenes have a fruit stand, obviously, and it's especially great when when it's on foot too, yeah. because it makes it all the more ridiculous that he ran a man over with a fruit stand. <laughs> yes. Again, this is a thing that probably only could have happened in this film. Probably, probably, delightfully so. Hmm. Ah. So you want to get some ice cream? What? I was yes. quoting the movie. Yes. Yeah. I like ice cream. But I will only take you out for ice cream if you promise that in the middle of getting your ice cream, you will not uh, return to your abusive pimp. I don't like to make promises I can't keep out Okay. Adam. We'll get you out someday, Pat. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I do. I do wish I knew what happened to that girl. Well, um, yeah. I mean, it could go a lot of different. I mean, ways. again, I I made my, I made my my statement about well because her pimp is dead. Yeah, with Anderson being dead, but she's more than likely addicted to heroin. That's also true. Um, so she's gonna have a pretty hard time. Yeah, my guess is she will just find another pimp. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that's, that's for shame. That's really the justification, hey, you know. Why? Why she goes back? You know, we don't. We only get that in retrospect. We right, but we from know. knowing from knowing how Kathy comes down or when seeing when Kathy comes down. But well, and the fact that like she, well, we know when um, Bob Hoskins interrupts Kathy's weird session that I'm with with rubber glove. I'm really confused about what was going on there. Um, was he actually was his penis inserted at that point? I don't. I don't know. Because it's very hard to tell, um, based on their their body language and activity. Yeah. And then we see him when Michael Caine's character is comforting him. It cuts real quick to all the the heroin needles and yes. such. Yes, I forgot about that. But okay. yeah. And then prior to that, Simone mentions having a habit, and we are forced to assume it's probably heroin, given the time period and everything else yeah. like that. It's you know it's a bit not the right culture and time for cocaine. So that is true. Um. So, yeah, it, it. We must assume that all of them are addicted to heroin. Well, except for Simone, because she, I assume she was too. Well, yeah, she, she got out. She, of it. she got out. That's well. She never makes mention of her having a habit. She only mentions that Kathy has a habit. Yeah, but she seems to have very, uh, very intimate knowledge on what to do. As right, as exactly, exactly. Down. And so we're, we're we we more than likely she did. Yeah. She just we she, we don't mention it. It's not it's not known. As everything else is known. Yeah, and that would make sense given the the her backstory that she uh, she got away from Anderson by by going with a client and spending the summer somewhere else. You know, right, she right. She doesn't yeah, explicitly get into detoxing, but it would also make sense. So, mm. anyway, you got anything else to say? I know we're a little short this week, but we've been on no, a lot of tangents okay. and. Uh, I really like this movie. I was wrapped in this movie. You know, normally I, I'm pretty easily distracted in a lot of our films. But uh, yeah, me too. 
I do spend a lot of a lot of time on my phone yeah. during the films that are not good. This one was not one of them. I'm sad I didn't get to watch it in one straight go. Oh, that's Got a lot of interu- had a lot of interruptions this week. Uh, well, I, was, I actually started watching this like two days ago. <laughs> I only finished it today, so well. I do kind of look forward to maybe having an opportunity to sit down and watch it all the way through one time. But I, you know, the the movie's not hard, and it's only an hour and a half long, so the thread was still pretty easy to hold on to. Yeah. Oh, one other thing I meant to I meant to say this. I think it's kind of ridiculous. You know, I, I mentioned that uh, his relationship with his daughter is you know a B plot, a, a F plot, really. Um, yeah. But the fact that her mom is credited, I think, as George's wife, and only shows up in the first two minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It just seems like his relationship with his daughter ought to also uh, involve the mother. Yeah, you know, more, but well, maybe yes, maybe no. No, I mean not necessarily a reconciliation with her, but she should be an antagonist to that relationship, if nothing else. Uh, and she's not. A- yeah, I see what you're saying. Like where, like yeah. he gets in another argument with her about yeah. it or something. But yeah, like they're just non-ish. Yeah. They're non-entities in the story. Yeah. The story of him becoming a better man and a better father, and and his daughter doesn't actually involve his daughter. Yeah, I know it's yeah. weird, but. Because it's it's the story of how he becomes that. It's yeah. not the story of what he does after yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Let's ever take her out to ice cream or whatever. Mm, ice cream. I'm, I have some ice cream in my refrigerator. Well, you, I'm going to go You eat should it. eat some ice cream and do the dishes and go to bed because it's like 1 a.m. 12.30 at night, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Well, thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. Right. Next week, oh joy. Um, what is next week? Uh, Spine 108. Uh when Criterion looked at their works and said, well, we put Armageddon in it and no one called us out, so... <laughs> what is the next movie? Michael Bay's The Rock. Oh, oh dear lord. <laughs> well, here we go. Yep. We can watch Nicolas Cage in one of the greatest performances <laughs> he has ever given. Yeah, no, that's actually probably true. It, it, is, it is a masterpiece of overreaction. Yeah. It is beautiful. I, I, well, I mean, oh man, I got a Face Off is up there too for Nicolas Cage. Oh, uh, you know, I've never seen Face Off, so I don't know. I just know that like the of the Nicolas Cage films I have seen, yeah. The Rock is a work. Oh, uh, The Rock. All right. Well, we're we're gonna watch that next week, and no promises, but I'm trying to get more people involved. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, certainly no promises because we've not been very successful. With that. <laughs> it's been like a year since we've had a guest, man. I know. Uh, it's so hard. Yeah. It's been... Well, it's, we record at weird times. Yeah, it's been my work schedule, really. That's kept us <laughs> more than anything. Anyway, uh, thank you once again for listening. We'll see you next week. See you next time.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion, a production of With Two Brains. The show is hosted by Adam Glass and John Patrick Owatari Dorgan. Jonathan Hape did the music, and Adam Glass also edited it all together. Feel free to contact us by email via lostincriteria at withtwobrains.com or join us on the web at www.lostincriterion.com.